Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, July 10th, 2023, I'm Mike Emanuel. Tomorrow, the NATO allies will meet in Lithuania to talk about what more the alliance can do to help Ukraine defend itself from Russia. At this time, I think that NATO should make a very strong statement of their support, their continued support for Ukraine regaining their territory and stop there. I'm Chris Foster. Kelsey Sharon owns a successful jewelry and eyewear line after serving as an artillery gunner in the Canadian Army. My job, fortunately, was a job that women were allowed to do if you could show up. So I made sure that every day I showed up and I showed up to the best of my absolute ability, which, you know, sometimes people's light irritates others' eyes. So put a pair of sunglasses on. And I'm DeRoy Murdoch. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden starts a new week in London with a NATO summit in Lithuania starting Tuesday focused on Russia's war in Ukraine. You saw each other last in Warsaw, and uh, I think you said it, and I agree, NATO allies have never been more united. That unity could be tested as the war in Ukraine drags on, leading to calls for the commander-in-chief to be firm. Wyoming Republican Senator John Barrasso saying... This is what the president needs to do in NATO. He needs to hold their feet to the fire. 500 days into the war, of all the money that's been contributed, the United States has doubled what all other NATO countries have done combined. Ukraine is also interested in joining NATO, which Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine on Fox News Sunday said is a little premature. Let's focus on helping Ukraine win this war, and then we can talk about matters like NATO accession and and other important matters about Ukrainian uh, alliance with Western democracies. As President Biden left the United States, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen began her journey home from China. The relationship between Washington and Beijing is complicated as the U.S. is working to regain its leadership position on microchip production. A dilemma the president has noted. Guess what? America invented these chips. We're the ones that invented them. We sophisticate those chips. We made them what they are. But over time, we went from producing nearly 40% of the world's chips down to less than 10%. For now, all eyes are on how the president deals with NATO at a critical stage in the Ukraine war. Well, NATO has previously, at the NATO summit, made the strong statement that Ukraine will be a member of NATO. So they've already made a forward commitment to accepting Ukraine in NATO. Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner is chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. At this time, though, while this war is raging, uh, it would be irresponsible to add Ukraine into NATO. Uh, All of the NATO nations have risen to the cause of giving weapons and weapon systems to Ukraine. They're receiving certainly the support to go against the aggression of Russia and to go get back their territorial integrity. At this time, I think that NATO should make a very strong statement of their support, their continued support for Ukraine regaining their territory and stop there. 
In terms of U.S. support for Ukraine, a big conversation here has been our military funding with some lawmakers calling for a halt on sending aid to Ukraine while others believe it is crucial to send even more. Considering your intelligence portfolio, make the argument, sir. We absolutely have to support Ukraine. There's several things here that are, that are important to uh, the United States itself. Uh, first, uh, Russia has made it clear that its aggression against Ukraine is an aggression against the United States, its allies, and the West. Um, and Putin has made it very clear that he has no intentions, if he was successful in Ukraine, of stopping in Ukraine, um, targeting Poland and other nations that are firmly into NATO, including uh, nations in, in the uh, Baltics themselves. You know, two, we saw President Xi stand with Putin and, you know, here the, the leader of China, leader of Russia there, and President Xi said to him, we're making change has occurred for 100 years. Well, those 100 years are World War I, World War II. Uh, that was the fight against authoritarianism and democracy. Uh, they want to reverse that. They want authoritarianism to prevail. They want China and Russia to prevail. Uh, this war that uh, Russia has waged against Ukraine requires us to stand up for democracy and to give them the weapon systems that they need. And third is just the atrocities. I mean, we, we've seen that Russia is killing innocent families, children, uh, the way they're destroying communities and neighborhoods. This is something the United States needs to stand up for. Another issue on the docket is military spending within the NATO alliance, as NATO members are expected to spend at least 2% of their national GDP on defense. Uh, at last count, only 11 of NATO's 31 members currently hitting that established target. Is it time to squeeze NATO allies to do more once again? Absolutely. And I've served as president of the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, and we have certainly, as the U.S. delegation there, made the case uh, that this is a commitment that each nation has made to each other and that uh, they need to to rise to that level. In addition, though, you know, I think there's going to be increased pressure to even exceed uh, the 2 percent uh, threshold that it was the prior commitment. Nations need to start filling their stockpiles. They need to start making certain that they have in their military the capabilities to be able to withstand a military incursion uh, without just the United States showing up immediately. Looking at Russia right now, uh, we're all really uh, surprised by what we saw in terms of the Wagner Group's rebellion. And and it revealed that Russia's troops, a lot of them maybe don't support Vladimir Putin and his actions in Ukraine. What are your thoughts about why and how this happened? And what do you believe this says about Putin's strength? What we certainly saw with the Wagner Group and uh, Prigozhin's march toward uh, Moscow is that they were able to leave Ukraine and go into uh, Russia which is a 12-hour trip to Moscow, and make it 10 hours into Russia. They could only have done that with support in uh, the military. Clearly, Putin does not have the full support of his military. That certainly is in part because of the just horrific performance in Ukraine and the atrocities that are there. Uh, this certainly has weakened Putin. I think a lot of folks expected that Prigozhin would end up dead. Uh, so far, he has walked free for this, currently facing no charges for what Putin called an act of treason. Putin's not easy to go on punishment, typically. So why do you believe he's letting Prigozhin off the hook? Well, I think he's not letting Prigozhin off the hook. I think that he doesn't have the power within which to take action against Prigozhin. I think he's concerned uh, that to do so would weaken him further and could result in his own overthrow. Um, and I think that certainly is probably the biggest evidence that Putin is in trouble. While there's no love lost for Vladimir Putin in this country, they do have, obviously, significant nuclear weapons uh, was that a concern you had as you saw the situation unfolding over in Russia? Absolutely. We don't want chaos in Russia. 
I believe that there certainly is enough stability within Russia uh, that if it looked as if Putin was going to be overthrown, that certainly a, a regime would rise up that would stabilize Russia, uh, that we would not just have, have chaos. You know, it's in no one's interest uh, around the world for Russia to go into chaos, being the largest holder of nuclear weapons. Do you worry about Vladimir Putin doing something extreme to look like a tough guy? Well, I think he's already done something extreme in invading Ukraine and in the unbelievable prosecution of the war on the border with Ukraine, just the devastations that have happened in the cities and the death that has occurred, uh, the way that he's sacrificed his own troops. All of these are still very desperate measures on his part. I do think that um, you know, as he continues this, the evidence of this will continue to weaken his regime. All right, let's get into China and its attempt to surpass the United States as the global superpower. They've been greatly expanding the nuclear arsenal that they have. How should the United States respond to this, especially as much of China's nuclear power is aimed at America? That's right. China is tripling its nuclear weapons. And again, as you said, those will be pointed at us, and which clearly shows uh, that they are moving from you know, just the time where they talked about uh, you know, their own domestic security to an aggressor state. The uh, fact that President Xi has made open statements indicating that, that he will by force take Taiwan, and he's even said to his people, we need to prepare for war. Those are all signals that we need to respond to. Um, number one, we need to be able to stand up to China. It was so disappointing to see Janet Yellen go to China and bow to her counterparts. How do we ask other nations to stand up to China when the Biden administration itself bows to China? We need to implement missile defense. We have the technology. We have the capability. We need to put missile defense in place so it's not just our nuclear deterrent that keeps us out of conflict, but also has an ability to defend uh, our American public uh, and, and our homeland. And then thirdly, we need to work with our allies to make certain that um, Chinese aggressive actions uh, around the world are responded to. You made reference to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's trip, and she said on Sunday it seemed the United States was now on more firm footing with China, despite, quote, significant disagreements. Do you agree with her? No. I, well, I mean, the only way you get there is by having the Biden administration completely ignore uh, what China has done to the United States. We've had police stations here that were set up you know, in connections with the Communist Chinese Party to intimidate American citizens and Chinese residents here. You also have the you know, spy balloon that flew across some of our most sensitive sites. And you have just a, a number of areas where China has indicated that the United States is an adversary. Ignoring those is the only way the Biden administration can say that they have a relationship with China that's back on track. In addition to the Treasury Secretary bowing to her counterpart multiple times, it seems like the Biden administration officials have been begging their Chinese counterparts to meet with them. Are we giving them all the leverage? Absolutely. Uh, the Biden administration, from you know, abandoning Afghanistan to their complacency with China, really shows unbelievable weakness. And when you show to adversaries weakness, you're certainly only going to get continued aggressiveness by them. Another important issue when talking about China is chips. With many global semiconductor companies relying heavily on China, this issue has become a key role in the U.S.-China rivalry. How do you believe the Biden administration should act to strengthen America's stance on chip production? And do you believe the administration is currently doing enough? No, I mean, this is an administration that continues to restrain our ability to utilize our own natural resources both in oil and energy and raw materials. This administration has weakened our ability 
to use our own natural resources, they need to open up, again, the United States resources so they can be applied to our industry and our own independence. There's a lot on the oversight agenda in Congress right now of the Biden administration. Um, As you're about to come back into session, what are some of your key priorities? Well, from the Intelligence Committee, we're going to continue to hold the administration accountable in areas of um, being lax on China, certainly the threats on the border, uh, the fentanyl crisis of, of drugs crossing the border, certainly supporting the continued initiative in Ukraine and ensuring that uh, Ukraine gets the weapons that they need. The Biden administration continually has been behind the curve. At first, say, well, we're not going to provide them this advanced weapon system, but we couldn't possibly do that. And then as the circumstances in Ukraine show and dictate, then ultimately the Biden administration will cough them up. Um, and that's something that you know Congress is going to have to continue to be the lead in this to ensure that Ukraine gets the assistance that they need. Previously in Congress, the House Intelligence Committee became quite partisan, which was kind of a break with tradition. It seems that you've been able to course correct to bring the committee back together to work in unison on America's priorities. How have you been able to do that? You know, it's a team effort. Uh, Jim Himes from Connecticut, my ranking member, and I have made a commitment in part with the assistance of Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the minority leader, Joaquin Jeffries. They came to our committee and gave us a charge to make this change. Jim Himes has been a great partner, and really every member of the committee made a joint commitment to each other that this would be a bipartisan committee, that we return our work to national security. You know, it it seems odd to say that we're going to turn the committee's work back to its core work of national security, but that is our goal, that is our job, uh, and, and we are doing it. Always a fascinating discussion with Chairman Mike Turner. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful week. Great. Thank you. You too, Mike. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is DeRoy Murdoch with your Fox News commentary, coming up. Kelsey Sharon was a soldier in the Canadian Army. She signed up as a 19-year-old, eventually reaching her goal of serving in Afghanistan. What she went through and saw there, destruction and death, eventually sent her home with demons. Scared, angry, and paranoid, she says. She thought maybe she'd just kill herself, but had a husband and child to live for. She found peace through experimental therapy and making jewelry out of spent shell casings. Ultimately, what the goal was to allow myself to move past the suicidal ideation that was coming home from war and the trauma that I suffered there. Her now successful jewelry and eyewear brand is called Brass and Unity. It's also the title of her new book. As so many uh, service members do, we started taking old casings from friends of mine and turning them into jewelry pieces, really raw bracelets and necklaces, and which spun off into its own company. And what we make now is pieces that are 
also raw brass, like our buddy check bracelet, which is our suicide prevention bracelet. And it prompts you to call a buddy. Uh, You don't have to be a service member. It's strictly for the connection of human beings and making sure that people are well. And what the whole concept of it is, is buy a pack, call a buddy, save a life. Besides just the quality of the pieces and your charm, why did it take off so quickly? When did you start meeting celebrities? You know, I went to a trade show I wasn't supposed to be at and the right people saw my bracelets at a dinner. The next day I had a meeting. Two weeks later, we on Ellen's 12 Days of Giveaway (laughs) with Beth Bears, just because we started working with Beth on her uh, sexual assault foundation. She was looking for a piece to have donations from. And then it spun off after that. I was lucky enough that my mother is a very lovely woman and she was a truck driver for Kevin Hart's What Now Tour. And she would harass him to the point where he finally agreed to meet with me when he was in Vancouver. And um, we went backstage, just him, myself and my husband and my mom. And he gave us his time and his advice more than anything, which was really important. When we got to meet with him, he gave me one really solid piece of advice. Essentially, it was, look, if you want men to wear this as well, you need to change the company name. And he was right. You know, at the very beginning, the brand was just called Her Wearables. It was just for me. It wasn't really for anyone else. And so we went home. We brainstormed. He tweeted it out to 24 million people. And we changed the name. Now, going way back, Kelsey, you started Taekwondo when you were four yeah. years old. You, know, you, yeah. read, you read about being pushed around as a kid and sort of doubting yourself all the time. Did it start that young? It didn't really start till... I would say roughly around six or seven when people started to take notice of it because I was dressing like I was constantly going to training. I walked around with headphones on. I was very, I secluded myself because I was very serious about my sport and going down the path of a professional athlete. And I took that seriously from the age of four. And so I was an easy target. I was what most people would go after, the quiet one, the one that's kind of the loner. And I'm okay with that. But I'm I'm also very careful to say, like, sometimes we need to go through hard things in order to have the pressure to make us into what we are now. When you finally joined the Canadian Army, a lot of people join for, among other reasons, um, the, the camaraderie of it, which you did not get during training. Why no. do you think you were picked on there? You know, I think at the time I was and always had been for a long time, a really hurt individual. I went through a lot of stuff in my life. This book is chock full of stories that I've lived a thousand lives. I'm 33 right now and I've lived a thousand lives, truly. And I think what happened then was unresolved trauma, hurt and pain from what I went through up to the military and me not wanting to be close to anyone. So I would make sure that no one wanted to hang out or or they wouldn't want to associate. And one of the best ways to do that is be better at them than a lot of things. Um, and so for, I came from a Taekwondo background. I came from an athlete's background in the truest sense. And I was very fit when I went into the military. Um, my job, fortunately, was a job that women were allowed to do if you could show up. So I made sure that every day I showed up and I showed up to the best of my absolute ability, which You know, sometimes people's light irritates others' eyes. So put a pair of sunglasses on. Uh, You were an artillery gunner. How'd you get on that track? Uh, Originally, I wanted to go infantry. I was told at the recruiter's office I was too small. Um, I'm five foot tall and 105 pounds. Unfortunately, they said, you know, we think we're going to send you to artillery, which is an M777, which is a 155 millimeter howitzer that shoots a hundred pound round, but weighs more than you. So we're going to have you load those instead. It was a career I was really looking forward to. It was the definition of support. 
when you are an artillery gunner, you are supporting the men and women up front. You are dropping the bombs to make sure that those people are safe and you're doing it accurately so you don't land on anyone. The idea of being support in a combat arms role was all I wanted. So it did not matter to me as long as I was not stuck in a tank, which I considered a tin can. So we went with artillery and uh, that's what I ended up doing for uh, most of my career. You did a lot of running and gunning and dodging and your time in Afghanistan was harrowing and you get into it in the book. Um, And there are a lot of days, more than once a day, that you could have died over there. I think when people think about Afghanistan, they kind of wash over the fact that the ground is littered with IEDs everywhere you go. And the sad fact is, is that place is a really hard one to walk around on foot. I got a really small taste. And I say a really small taste because I was with the British at the time when I got injured and I was only with them a short period of time. But I was with them long enough to know that I could understand why people were coming back the way they were coming back. And It was an operation that will live in the back of my mind for the rest of my existence, like so many soldiers from the NATO forces. It was something that I'll never forget. It's something I was very proud to do, but I was not did not go unnoticed that every time we took a step, there was a good chance that something would be close by that could explode. Yeah. You tell a story of just trying to go to the bathroom and you had to have, you know, help and detection around you. And then, okay, here's your spot. Don't move. When I was with the British, I was fortunate enough that they use it's like a metal detector and um, they would sweep the ground with it as to the best of their ability. And uh, yeah, I had to pee. And uh, when you're with a bunch of men and you're the only woman, you figure out ways to do that strategically. And fortunately enough, you know, I had people that would clear a spot for me so I could make sure yeah. I could pee without exploding. Yeah. So that's nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you mind talking about Mick just briefly, who he was and, and what happened to him? And was it hard to write about it or did it help you at all? Or by then, had you just replayed it in your mind so many times that right? about it didn't really matter um i don't think the loss of any human being will never not matter Uh, i think i have perspective and time gives you perspective and unfortunately when i was with the british we sustained a really aggressive loss that was it's still hard to talk about it ended in a really traumatic loss of life due to an ied that the taliban planted somewhere that ultimately Mick uh, hit with his metal detector and went off. And to witness that, to be a part of that recovery and to be a part of that operation and then have to just keep going 10 minutes later was a shock to my system and something I was not uh, trained for or prepared for. When you got sent home uh, and weren't allowed to come back to Afghanistan, what did your papers say? Well, they were sending me home for post-traumatic stress disorder. I was diagnosed in country. Uh, I was put on a heavy dose of pharmaceutical medications and sent home to an empty airport to figure out a way to get to a base and then to only be told to drive another, I think it's roughly 12 hours to a hospital in Ottawa. And I would hear from the military when I heard from them. So once I was diagnosed, I was put on 11 different pharmaceutical drugs put back on the machine gun before I left and uh, then eventually sent back home three weeks before the rest of my unit. I say those things and I highlight the pharmaceutical intervention because there is uh, an overprescribing where you use guinea pigs and it makes me really frustrated. You write about regret of not being the best mom you could be to Jack, the best mm-hmm. husband you could be to Brady because of those, I don't want to say lost years, but years that you could have been doing better. Lost years, I think, is the brilliant way to put it. If I'm being completely transparent with you, I very often look back at my 20s and go, I don't remember a lot of it. I don't have memory. Um, I have, you know, long term repercussions of being on SSRIs or antidepressants. My story is not even different. You know, there's a, a million of us veterans that have almost an identical story an over medication, a lack of support, an unwillingness by the VA 
and a loss of memory because of overmedication and trauma. So for me, I've been with my husband for 13 years. I have a child. I want to be the best version of a human being that I can. And I just wanted to be what I knew I could be, which was a present mom, a good wife, because ultimately we know that the mother's health is a direct reflection of what the child will be like. So kids feel things, man, they feel everything. And when you're angry and when you're frustrated and you're struggling, your child will feel that the cuts we have from trauma, they bleed on everyone else. I haven't talked to a million vets in your situation, but I've talked to enough who talk about being over-medicated or you know, whatever else problems with their treatment, as well-meaning as the doctors and medical staff may have wanted to be, you also aren't the first that have tried psychedelics to help you and that have said it really did. You say ayahuasca in your case helped. Explain what that is for people who don't know and, and what do you think it did to your brain or for your brain? What it does is it puts you in a state where your body is forced and your mind is forced to let go. The medicine is strong. You know, it originates in Peru, but it's the shakruna leaf and the ayahuasca vine brewed together in this tea. It is truly unworldly. It is an experience that I wish every single veteran on the face of this earth could have the chance to sit with so that they could heal. Now saying that, I also um, is somebody who uses psilocybin, which is mushrooms for microdosing as well as an antidepressant property. And all that really does is it allows the the regeneration of neurons in the brain. It slaps a fresh uh, layer of snow down, if you will, and allows new connections to be formed. We need different intervention and support. Now, the rights to the book are already sold to make it into a movie or TV show. What's that process been like? Neil McDonough and his wife, Ruve, and their five children came to my charity event that we host with my buddy. And he said, like, look, we like you. We think you're cool. If you're ever doing anything, you know, just keep us in the loop. So I called them one day and said, look, I have a book I'm working on. They read it. I got a phone call from Neil and Ruve. And it was, hey, we want to do this. We want to produce this into either a TV series or a feature film. It's hard to say no, but I think the thing I've learned the most about it is if you have a story, there is a need for people to see that you can heal through really horrific things and that it doesn't have to be the thing that breaks you. Well, Kelsey, I'm glad that you are where you are. You seem to be doing okay. The the jewelry and eyewear company called Brass and Unity. The book is also called Brass and Unity, One Woman's Journey Through the Hell of Afghanistan and Back. Kelsey, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, President Biden will meet with Britain's King Charles III at Windsor Castle. The president is on a European trip, taking him to the UK, Lithuania, and Finland. While in London, the president will meet with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Tuesday, the NATO summit in Finland will focus on Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Tuesday also marks the Midsummer Classic, as T-Mobile Park in Seattle plays host to Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. Wednesday wraps up Amazon's Prime Day as the online retail giant offers discounts on a variety of products available to its subscribers. Walmart and Best Buy also running sales to compete with rival Amazon. Thursday, President Biden is scheduled to meet with Nordic leaders during a stop in Helsinki. The president will meet with his counterparts from Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Iceland. Friday, France will celebrate its Bastille Day holiday, marking the public storming of the fortress in 1789 during the French Revolution. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News.
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. To Roy Murdoch. What's on your mind? America set a tragic milestone from New Year's Day 2020 through New Year's Eve 2022. Gunfire, assaults, vehicular assaults, and car chases killed at least 230 on-duty cops, the officer down Memorial Page reports. The defund the police crowd's demonization of law enforcement personnel has cratered morale, recruitment, and retention in precinct houses nationwide. The police executive research forum tracked 19% more retirements and 47% more resignations in 2022 than in 2019 the year before the George Floyd riots turbocharged anti-police abolitionism. Shattered lives are the ultimate measure of policing's decline. According to the latest National Crime Victimization Survey, urban violence jumped 29% from 2020 to 2021. Robust public and political support can reverse these trends, and so can the U.S. tax code. Police guarantee domestic tranquility and embody the rule of law. Fittingly, the activists who endeavor to destroy former President Donald J. Trump are the same ones who aim to eradicate the police. Trump released a tough public safety agenda in February, including record outlays to hire, train, and retain police. My friend Joe Diamond produces WABC Radio's Cop Talk program. He offers this idea. Trump can fortify his plan by promising to excuse cops from federal income tax. Republican lawmakers in Georgia, Kentucky, and New Mexico have introduced bills to free cops from state income levies. Given Trump's tight bond with cops, he is perfectly poised to take this idea nationwide. USGI's combat pay already is federally tax-exempt. As America's streets increasingly resemble battlefields, cops should enjoy this same privilege. What about this idea's fiscal impact? Cops offer their communities significant economic benefits, both short and long-term. Every life shielded, every business saved, and every kid who attends school without fear all exceed this tax relief's price tag. Princeton economics researcher Stephen Mello estimated in 2019 that, quote, each additional sworn officer reduces victimization costs by about $352,000. These huge societal savings far outweigh the loss of $7,180 in federal income taxes that a typical cop pays on a $58,320 median salary, according to Comparably.com. This dramatic reform would boost officer morale, attract recruits, incent seasoned vets to postpone retirement, and warn criminals that the sheriff is back in town. The Trump campaign's anti-crime plan could transform American law enforcement. Trump economic advisor Stephen Moore speaks tantalizingly about futuristic freedom cities, each patrolled by what he calls a super police force. Trump should encourage U.S. police squads to become the envy of the world. Every cop should be well-paid, well-trained, highly motivated, and dedicated to the rule of law, especially as it now is in peril. Trump's public safety blueprint confirms his far-reaching second-term vision. His sequel could become America's most consequential administration. As China and other predator states grow increasingly belligerent, As America's culture wars intensify, as artificial intelligence and other new technologies offer both unprecedented prosperity and unforeseeable risks, the next president of the United States may face greater challenges than Lincoln, FDR, or Reagan. Law enforcement at every level will be essential to maintain domestic tranquility during these turbulent times. Exempting this country's cops from the federal income tax would fortify them to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. I'm DeRoy Murdoch. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.